Let's try that one more time. Hello, Overlake. Yeah, it's great to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I want to uh, invite you to grab your notes out of your handout, and you can see that we are right in the thick of this thing, this series, this campaign, this, this two-year, actually, we're launching a two-year direction for our church, and, and the vision is all wrapped up in blessing my city. And... Um, so I want you to grab those notes so you can fill in, you know, take notes if you like, just kind of follow along. The first thing that I want to start with, though, is you're maybe familiar with this verse. It's, it's from Proverbs. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish, right? And, um, and we've been talking about what is the vision that God has given us over these next two years. The very first part of that is the idea of caring for my parish so I want to amend that just a little bit and say, where there is vision, the people perish. Okay? It just went like this, didn't it? That's the high level of humor we have at Overlake. Even puns, right, are used for the kingdom. So this, this idea of we perish, we care for our parish. We've been talking about how it is not accidental, the neighborhood that you're in, the town that you live in, the community that is surrounding you, and the city that God has placed you within. You are called by God to be the priest and pastor of that community. You're called to love your neighbors. You're called to care for your parish. You're called to bless your city. And we've been talking about that. If you want to look it up later, at Jeremiah 29, 7, that's the verse where God speaks to his people. So there's a few reasons why we want to go after this. The first is that God tells us to, and we think obedience to God's kind of a good idea. So that's the first thing. Second reason is because we believe transformation is possible. We believe that God is, by his grace, by his love, he is invading our lives. He is in the process of transforming us, and then we are called, we are privileged to be agents of transformation in the communities that we live in. So I, I do want to tell you this. Some people think the only transformation that's possible is when this life is over and in the next one. I want to tell you that's not God's view. God's view is transformation is possible right here and right now, and he is calling his people to be agents of transformation. In fact, Jesus talks about this quite a bit. I want to talk about three metaphors that Jesus uses when he's talking about how the people of God, the ones who follow him, actually are intended and designed to be agents of transformation within the communities, the parishes, the neighborhoods that God has placed them within. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at each of these metaphors. The first metaphor, some of you are real familiar with this, but hopefully this will be a new slant on it in light of blessing my city. The first that Jesus talks about is this idea of salt, okay? Salt. Now, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And many different ways that you can kind of view this, in fact, some ways um, that have been taught, I've even heard this teaching, I might have even taught this at one point in my journey, this idea of salt, it's a preservative, so in the pre-refrigeration days, salt would be used to preserve meat and to keep it from rotting, 
that's a delightful idea on a Sunday morning. That, you know, hey, let's not let my meat rot. Let's pack it in salt, you know. And that's, the, the, that's what Jesus is talking about, that we're going to preserve this rotting, fetid world. And we're, gonna, we're just going to keep it from, you know, just right on the edge of just pure putrefaction. But we're going we're gonna to preserve it, you know. And then some Christians were like, well, how do we do that? What's the best way to do that? Apparently, um, creating T-shirts is the way that Christians have come up with to preserve, right? And so there's all these goofy things. We just take what's in the world. We just copy it. And we just, you know, um, instead of gold's gym, we do God's gym, you know, that kind of thing. And, and it's just silly, right? The idea of, of a T-shirt actually preserving anything. Some of you are like, well, that's bringing salt. Um, how do I know what is too salty? I'll just show you a picture of what too salty looks like. Uh, it, this is Salty, the singing songbook. How many of you grew up with Salty? Yeah, God bless you. I see that hand. God, I'm still in therapy from my... my the plays, I was in these musicals with Salty. So, yeah, that's, that's too much. Anytime you're dressing up like a singing, you know, Bible, forget it. Like, you, you're way off that, you know, go to another church. So, um, but, but you see this idea, like, we get goofy ideas about what salt is like in order to preserve. And I just want to say, that has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. Not, it, I, it's, it is true that salt preserved in the pre-refrigeration. I just want you to know that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not how he's using the metaphor. What he says in the scripture in Matthew 5, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its what? Its flavor. You could circle that word. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about flavor. How shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. Look, the point of salt is flavor he's talking about. The point of salt is to make things delicious. Without that as its, as its purpose, then he's saying it's of no use because you can't salt salt, right? Like that's a, that's a ridiculous kind of a scenario. So no, no. He's, he's saying, I want you to bring flavor into your world. I want you to make everything more enjoyable, more delicious. I want you to be bringing encouragement into your world. I want you to be building confidence. I want you to be speaking life. I want you to be listening well and caring deeply. These are the things that Jesus models, and this is what Jesus calls us to. In addition to healing, Jesus was salt in the world that he lived. He made everything better. And it just by one, I, I could mention dozens of examples of this, but just one example, many of you already are aware of the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. It was, it was the way that he inaugurated his ministry on earth. He was at a party. It was a wedding banquet. And it had been going on for quite some time, and the wine had run out. Okay, and so what is it that Jesus does to sort of inaugurate his earthly ministry? He transforms water into wine and, and tons of it. And the host, when he tastes this wine, says, in essence, this is the best wine I have ever tasted. You have been serving two buck chuck. And this is a fine Bordeaux. You know, like it was just this gorgeous expression and, and everyone continued to have an amazing time. This is what Jesus did. 
Right? Jesus knew how to, to flavor the circumstances that he was within. I, I found this quote from Jeff Vanderstelt. He says, We ought to be known as the greatest party people on the planet. Every culture has celebrations. Your job as a Christian is to engage in the celebration with those people. We bring, look, the better wine. We bring what is lacking. We ought to party like crazy because we actually have something to celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus, right? There's a reason why we can be joyful. There's a reason why we can celebrate. There's a reason why we can encourage because we have received so much from Jesus. Now we can salt that enjoyment. We can salt that encouragement into the communities that he has called us into. Now notice Jesus does not talk about salt in a way of being in control. Christians have, have oft missed this. We've sort of thought that the only way to make a difference in the world, to transform the world, is to be in control of the world. Friends, we get off track really, really quickly. I don't, I don't think Christians should ever be in control. It's so much better for us to be servants of everyone. And that's what Jesus did. And so, yeah, this, this is the picture of salt, right? Bringing flavor, that, that, we're, that we're salting, we're, we're bringing out deliciousness in everyone. So the question I would ask you, how is it that you are spicing up your city? How are you adding deliciousness to your parish? How are you flavoring your neighborhood? We need to take these, this challenge that Jesus gives us. You're the salt of the earth, and we need to ask ourselves practically, well, how am I? being the salt then in the place that God has assigned me. You're the salt, man. We got to be the salt. We got to actively be salting and, and flavoring wherever it is that we go. C.S. Lewis has a great analogy about salt. And, and he says, if you could imagine a person who has never, ever tasted salt, never seen it used, and he comes and has a meal with you and he witnesses you sprinkling some salt on your steak and some salt on your broccoli, and he sees that you've got a dessert of salted caramels. And the person who has never seen salt be used makes an assumption. Oh, what you've done by putting salt on these three um, food products is, that doesn't sound very appetizing, um, th these three, you know, your food, uh, is <laughs> you have made them, by putting salt on them, you've made them taste the same. That's what the assumption would be. But C.S. Lewis says, no, in reality, what you've done is you've drawn the unique flavors out of each one. See, God is not interested in uniformity. He loves variety. That's why he made it. No, no. When we bring salt, we're not trying to make everyone clones. We're not trying to turn everyone into the same person. No, what we're trying to do is bring out the uniqueness, <clears throat> the genius in each and every person. Right? We're trying... To, to show everyone that you are made in the image of God, that there is, there is beauty in you, that there is joy available, that there's peace for you, that there's a contribution each of us have to make, and we draw that out of each person. That's what salt does, flavors the whole thing, right? Question, how are we doing at being the salt? That's the first metaphor Jesus uses. The second metaphor is the metaphor of light, it's the metaphor of light. 
Jesus talks about being light. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Jesus talking about this. And again, we tend to make some assumptions about what that is, right? We made this assumption about salt. Salt preserves. Uh, the light assumption is light exposes, right? That, that, that light exposes sin, that light reveals how horrible everything is. And uh, uh, it's like, you know, catching people in the act kind of a thing. That's what light does. And is it any wonder that our neighbors are not thrilled to be living next door to Christians, right? Because how would you like to live next door to someone who's constantly judging you all the time? But that's not what Jesus is talking about. I want you to, again, just like we saw salt and the way that Jesus was using it, look at how he's using the metaphor of light. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You see what, what the heart of Jesus is? The teaching that he was trying to draw to this metaphor is, you're a city on a hill. That, that, that you're, you're light shining on a dark night. The concept is refuge and comfort and safety. I want you to think about being a sailor on a ship in the middle of a stormy night, and you don't know how close the shore is, and you don't know where the rocks are, and then suddenly you see the lighthouse guiding you into the safe harbor. That's the metaphor Jesus was using. The traveler weary in the midnight, and he looks ahead, and he sees that the lights are still on at his destination. That's what I want you to see. What's the first thing you do when a child is terrified by a nightmare? You turn on the light and the fear goes away. Do You see, this is what Jesus is saying. This is who you are. You are to bring comfort. You are to bring refuge. You are to bring safety. You are to care deeply and make sure people understand that you are a safe friend. You are a safe listener. You are a safe person for them to come to and receive help in their time of need. Because this is the heart of God. This is the Father's heart that Jesus so clearly articulates. I found this in 2 Samuel 22. It says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Look at this. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. That's the Father's heart. The Father's heart is he desires to be a shield. He desires to be a safe fortress, to be a refuge for us. And that's what Jesus invites us into that we can communicate comfort, we can communicate care, and be a shield for others, speak life into others, care deeply for others, serve others. Because we've received his light and his comfort, we can offer those to the people that are around us. You've probably heard the, the old saying, it's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. It's, it's true. There are actually a lot of people who make really good livings cursing the darkness. A lot of them pastors, some of them politicians, right? It's super easy to curse the darkness, but what's better? Light a candle. See, I want you to understand that in the contest between light and dark, there is no contest. That light is amazing. Light never submits to darkness. Darkness always submits to light. Even think about the... the the practical, like the, the physical realities. You know, light is something. I don't really know what it is, but it is something, right? It is waves and it is particles. And it blows my mind. I, I literally, I dropped out of physics class. I don't know what it is. But it, it, 
it is something. It's a thing, right? It's this beautiful creation of God, light. But darkness is nothing. Darkness is literally space waiting for light to show up. Yeah, there's no contest. You flip on the light, and darkness doesn't engage in a wrestle match with it. Darkness doesn't stick around. Should I leave? Should I stay? I don't know. You turn on the light, darkness goes, right? That's what I want you to see, that Jesus is saying, you're the light. And where you show up, there is light, and there is comfort, and there is refuge. This is the mentality that Jesus invites us to. This is the, these are the gifts that he invites us to bring to our community, that we bring comfort, that we bring refuge. I want you to write down a phrase and just kind of think about this over the course of the next few weeks. Write down this phrase, divine leadership makes life better for everyone. That, that when we are listening to God, when we're walking in his grace, when we're filled with his love, this idea of divine leadership, it makes life better for everyone in our sphere of influence, okay? If we're not adding flavor to our parishes, if we're not bringing comfort to our cities, then we are missing the main thrust of Jesus' teaching. And then the third metaphor that Jesus uses is, uh, is this metaphor. It's Luke 13, 20. And again, he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Okay, leaven. A little leaven lifts the lump. That's a tongue twister I just made up. Uh, I'm I'm trying really hard to not use the word yeast. I just don't think that preaches well on a Sunday morning. So we're going to stay away from yeast and keep the idea of leaven. And this, the, the metaphor that Jesus is using here, he's saying, look, this woman takes a little leaven and she mixes it in with three measures of meal, three measures of flour, and it's all leaven. Uh, so I, some of you are asking, well, how much is three measures? And I looked it up. Three measures is two pecks uh, of, of flour. Um, in case you're doing a little baking later, uh, how much is two pecks? It's several bushels. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but the point is pretty easy. You, it's just a little bit of the leaven and the whole thing rises, right? In fact, that's the word I want you to focus on is the word lifts. Just a little leaven lifts the whole. And that's what Jesus is saying about you. And that's what he's saying about me. Just a, a little, it just takes a little. It just takes a little love. It takes a little care. It takes a little intentionality. It just takes a little focus. It just takes a little care. But you can lift the entire thing. That's his plan for you. That's his call for you. And as we're obedient to him, this is how we're going to care for our parish, love our neighbors, and bless our cities. You know, maybe a, a better, some of you are bakers, so that leaven thing works really well for you. I, I'm not a baker. I, I, I attend bakeries. But the, the, the way in which I, I think is a, an analogy that hits me really, really well is the analogy of an aroma. I want you to just think of an aroma. You know how incredibly powerful aroma and memory are linked. So I grew up, you know, Southern California. I got my driver's license at 16. My buddies and I would always jump in my car. We'd go down to Laguna Beach, this place where all the high school students hung out, and we would do this day in and day out every day for a long summer. Summers in California, they last about 280 days. 
And, and so we just have all this time. So even now, if I smell, you know, that, that uh, um, tropical tan coconut oil, you know what that is. It's like Crisco for your body, right? If I, if I smell that coconut flavor, I can feel sand in my toes. Like it's that powerful. It just takes a little bit. Some of you, it might be like with baked goods, like you, you know, um, you're walking the mall and you smell Cinnabon, right? And instantly you are taken back to your grandma's house, vacation time. Your grandma was a baker. She was always baking these delicious things. And so that's why actually Cinnabon pumps that smell out, right? You're walking in the mall and you're just like, oh, I just gained two pounds, right? <laughs> But it just takes a little, right? It's just a little bit of aroma, and it changes the whole atmosphere. We were singing that earlier today, right? The idea of inviting the Holy Spirit to come. And, and when the presence of God is felt, that it changes the entire atmosphere. What would it be like, Overlake, if in our neighborhoods we were conscious of this? That we, we reckon always that we're the ones who change the atmosphere in our neighborhoods. We're the ones who change the atmosphere in our towns. That, that God has actually called us to this. That we're to be filled with his grace, and so we offer his grace. We're to be filled with his love, and so we offer his love. And we lift the whole thing. Friends, that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's talking about. A little bit changes the whole atmosphere. It just takes a little pinch of salt and the whole thing is more delicious. It just takes one candle and darkness is driven out. It just takes one, little bits of leaven and the whole spiritual reality is lifted around us. And friends, that's why we want to start this thing, this whole Blessing My City campaign. We want to start it with prayer because we know that prayer is that baseline. It's where everything begins. And prayer is that intersection of heaven on earth. And so we want to encourage you. We've put together this prayer guide. And we want to ask you to pick this up, that you would put it in your Bible, that you would pray for, uh, for the, the initiatives that are mentioned within, that you would just be mindful and prayerful about your parish over these next two years. And so these are going to be in the hallway on the tables at the info desk. Please pick up a prayer guide. And then many of you have already done this, but I want to invite everyone to do this. And, and, and there's a map set up in our exhibit down in the hallway. And you'll see it's a map of the east side. It's kind of turned on its side. North is really kind of that direction. Um, but um, what you'll see is that there are a lot of prayers that are written out and placed on the map. We would invite you to do that today before you leave. That you take some time, write out a prayer, put it up on the map, and just cover. I want, I want the whole east side covered with prayer. Because we're seeking to live out what Jesus has called us to, to be salt to be light, to be leaven, to lift the whole, okay? And again, if you're filling in the blanks, that's what they are. Salt, we add the flavor. That's what Christ is calling us to. He's saying, you make everything more delicious. Light, we add the comfort, that we provide a, a safe friendship. We provide a safe haven. We provide care for those who are hurting. Leaven, we lift the whole. We literally lift the whole. We try to take the whole conversation to a higher, higher plane. And, and in order for us to do this, we just need to have this mindset that I am the priest and the pastor of my parish. You are. You're the pastor of Kirkland. 
You're the pastor of Redmond. You're the pastor of Woodenville. You're the pastor of Totem Lake. That we want you to just own this. I, oh, this place that I drop my children off at school, I, I am the pastor here. I'm the priest here. Oh, this neighborhood that God's placed me in, I'm the pastor here. I'm the priest here. And that we seek to consciously and intentionally over these next two years to live out a life in such a way that we are prayerful and mindful of caring for our parish. On Monday, when Lee had a conversation about faith in a local pub with his neighbor, that was a leaven moment. On Tuesday, when Brian prayed for Josh's family at a coffee shop around the corner from his house, that was a light moment. On Wednesday, when Mark and Lisa gather a life group together of neighbors to share a meal, pray, and study God's word, that's a flavor moment. On Thursday, when Rich and Barb gathered their life group to serve a meal at a local homeless shelter, that was a lifting moment. On Friday, when Coach Val invests in the local basketball team, sharing her gifts and encouraging her team's families, that's a light moment. On Sunday, when a family with a nine-passenger vehicle fills it with all sorts of friends and carpools up from Auburn and Kent, that is a leaven moment. Because on Sunday, when we all gather here in this place where all of our parishes come together, we experience God in a powerful way as we corporately worship him and recommit ourselves to his kingdom. We get to celebrate these moments when our church is breaking out all over the area where our people are caring for their parishes. Now, there's a tool that God has given us to accomplish all of this. And, and it's, a, it's a powerful tool. It's a tool that you're familiar with already. The tool that he's given us is the tool of love. It's a tool of love. This is what Jesus lived. It's what Jesus taught. And it's what we want to walk in his footsteps and, and follow him with. And so the scripture that I want to point your attention to, it's John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He makes a very, very big deal about this. Before the end of his earthly ministry, he, he says it again and again and again, you're to love, you're to love. I'm gonna command you this, it's a new command, I want you to get this one right, you need to love one another. And as followers of Jesus, we can sometimes get so familiar with this sentiment of his that we start to dismiss it. We, can, we find ourselves saying things like, yeah, yeah, pastor, I get the love thing, but there, there is no but. No, no, that's the thing. It's love. That's the command, love. That's the call, love. That's the tool, just love. And we need to work on this. We need to process it. We need to really evaluate how we're doing because some of us think we're doing better than we actually really are doing. Let me give you a verse. This is actually the scarier side of the equation. 1 John three fourteen says, we know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And that's, that's the negative side of the equation, right? How do we know that we've passed from death to life? Because we, we love. And we're working on love and we're walking in the way of love. And that's, that's, our, that's our priority. That's what we want to go after. But anyone who does not love remains in death. And no matter what you say, no matter, no matter sort of how loud you sing, that if, if love's not a part of the equation, we're just fooling ourselves. Okay. So... I, I just really want to draw our attention here. I want us to focus on this. Overlake, if you've been tracking with us for a while, this is not a new message. I've recently been given a book called Love, um, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. And it's by Pastor Jerry Cook. And I found a quote this week. Just It kind of rocked me. It says this. The minimal guarantee we must make to people is that they will be loved always, under every circumstance, with no exception. 
The second guarantee is that they will be totally accepted without reservation. The third thing we must guarantee people is no matter how mistake, miserably they fail or how blatantly they sin, unreserved forgiveness is theirs for the asking with no bitter taste left in anybody's mouth. Otherwise, they will not risk themselves to be open with us enough to receive healing. Some of our ministries are doing a great job of living that verse out, and, 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 and many of our hearts are already there. But this is a challenge for us to walk. Some of you have a little pushback. You're like, wow, you know, Mike, that sounds like ridiculous love. That sounds like outlandish love. It is. Absolutely. And that's what we're committed to, outlandish love. So I want to give you four expressions of how this campaign is going to go after outlandish love over the next two years. The first one, if you're filling in the blanks, is we're committed to loving community leaders. Loving community leaders, and so we want to get proactive about how we can breathe life into teachers and first responders, how we can care for counselors and cops. Basically, all those in our communities locally who every day suit up and head out as a part of their job to bless our cities, we want to bless the blessers of our cities. So that's what loving community leaders looks like. The next one is caring for public schools. Um, and our, our heart has always been to care for the local public schools. We want to, um, as a part of that, provide HIV, AIDS education for free to anybody who wants that. That's a, a, an arm in that. The second part is that there are community schools, local schools, that we have wanted to get on their campus, wanted to care for, and now we have a couple of open doors. Principals just saying, hey, would you come over Lake? We are underfunded. Would you come? We have no parental involvement. Would you come? And the church is saying, yeah, we will. We will come. We'll care for you guys. Outlandish. The third is bring a friend days at Overlake. And these will be unique Overlake services designed specifically for you to invite your parish to attend church. Um, they'll look a little different than our normal services do. They will be intentionally designed for your neighbors, for your friends, the folks who don't come to church very often. I'll just give you one example. We recently had a kind of a big, fun celebration day. It was in February on Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, it was just, there was a lot of fun, a lot of energy, a lot of people wearing the jerseys, that kind of a thing. Um, and, um, of course, the Seahawks were in it. It was, it was such a, a good day that we actually are in talks with the Seahawks organization asking if they will repeat that every year. <laughs> Um, you know, just to help our programming out a little bit. And then the, the last expression here is we want to expand our Safe Families program. Uh, Safe Families is an incredible program, and there are about 70 families right now at Overlake that are a part of it. But it is to care for a family that's in a vulnerable season. So what happens is the parents get in a, a tough situation, whether it's financially because of uh, whatever reason, it could be because of substance, it could be because of abuse, there are many reasons. But what happens is if there's no care for those families, then the, um, the state gets involved and the children are removed for foster care and, and that's what happens. So we're not against foster care, many of you are involved in foster care, thank you for that. But what Safe Families is, is it's, it's to care for a family right in the middle of that scenario. So we care for the parents, and, and we provide, celebrate recovery and counseling and support, what they need in that season to, to kind of get back on their feet. And then we also have families that will care for the children as well, uh, and, and so that they can be reunited quickly with their families. So it, it's an incredible ministry. But we want to expand that and actually double that over the next two years, okay? So that's what outlandish love looks like in addition to just how we care for our parishes. Right now, I want to turn over to John and let him share uh, how God has stirred him in this regard. 
Thanks, Mike. So a few months back when uh, Pastor Mike was sharing with our staff about the Blessing My City campaign and what was coming up, um, he asked a question. He said, why are we doing this? There's so many things that our church is already going after. Why? Why this, why this campaign? And he said, every city has people that Jesus died and cares for living in it. And that really, really uh, stirred my heart up. And I thought, okay, that, that's what I need. That's what I need to start living my life differently, to have open eyes wherever I'm going. Because I can, like all of us, just walk through life with blinders on and go about our schedule and go about our emails and things. So um, this song was kind of birthed out of that. And it's really asking Jesus to speak to my heart individually so that I can be that light that we're talking about. So. Um, I hope these lyrics challenge and bless you at the same time.
Your kids are so cute. Oh, my gosh. So great to see. So as they came in and they dropped off their, their boxes here, um, these boxes have uh, piggy bank money uh, uh, that, that some of the kids have brought over the course of this week. All of them have prayers because uh, their leaders were leading them in praying for their neighborhoods, praying for their classmates, praying for their friends. And so those prayers are in here as well. And as we talked last week, the children are participating in helping us with one of the expressions of this campaign, which is building Kidtown Park, uh, which will happen down uh, the hallway just across from, from the... Uh, from the Kidtown Station. So, so this is, again, just a part of what it looks like for us to participate in the campaign. What I'd love to have you do is I'd love to have you grab the envelope out of your handout, the Blessing My City envelope. And you might want to take a moment to, to fill it out. Uh, Pat mentioned earlier there's some place in here for information. Listen, if this is your first time to Overlake, if you're just checking out this whole church thing, this whole God thing, um, this is really not for you. Um, this is kind of family business right now because there are three ways to, to be involved in this campaign. We're asking everyone at Overlake to be involved in all three. So the first commitment is a prayer commitment. That's why we started with that. The second commitment is a personal commitment. We're asking you to, to take personally this challenge to care for your parish. And then the third commitment is a financial commitment because just about every expression we have, and, and you've got those, hopefully you've attended a dessert, you've seen it in our brochure or on the exhibit, there's a price tag associated with just about everything. And so we want to be very clear about what it is that we're going to go after over these next two years. Um, we want to educate every single person at Overlake. So if you have a question, please don't leave with that question. We've got elders and staff that would love to answer those questions for you. But what I'd like to do is I, I want to be super clear because maybe I wasn't as clear um, several years ago. We did a, another campaign called OCC 2012, and, and what happened was maybe some communication uh, breakdown, and I want to make sure that I, I do what I can to, to clarify. So here are a couple of jars, and, and this jar is filled with sand, but it's symbolic of our yearly general fund budget. It's roughly $6 million that, uh, that you give, that, that we all participate in giving every year so that Overlake can be the church that God is calling Overlake to be. And this $6 million represents the day in, the day out ministry, the, the way in which God has used Overlake and will continue to use Overlake just in its daily ministry operation. So that's what this uh, means. For those of you who are currently giving, um, thank you for that. Thank you for your faithfulness and your stewardship. What this represents is it represents uh, the 25% increase over the next two years that is required if we're going to accomplish what it is that God's calling us to go after. So, so you can see that there's, there's a full jar, or at least mostly full, and then there's, there's one that's not so full. So here's the communication bit. Here's what we cannot do to fund the new initiatives. We can't go into here and start just sort of taking from this side and putting over here. There's an old phrase, you can't rob Peter to pay Paul. I don't know if you've heard that. I, I assume it was about the Peter, Paul, and Mary trio. <laughs> but you can't do this. And, and, and the reason why is because if we stop being faithful with our giving, if we, if we stop continuing to fund the work of God at Overlake Christian Church, well, then the church dies, and then, of course, the, the expressions are going to die. 
Does that make sense? So, so there needs to be faithfulness. There needs to be a commitment that just continues. And again, Overlake has this deal where we all approve the budget. We've all, we've all affirmed it and said, yeah, we're going after that. So, so this is where we are right here. L- let me tell you what's, what needs to happen then for the additional arms of the, uh, of the campaign is there needs to be a commitment that we will give significantly the 25% required in order to accomplish what God is calling us to. I said this the first time. There's a lot of dust there. I don't think that's symbolic of anything. I think, I think it's a fresh call. I think it's a fresh vision. But I, I believe that, that this is something that um, it sounds big. 25%, it, it sounds big. The idea of increasing, stretching, giving significantly, sacrificing, like I get it, it's big. But I want to talk to three groups of folks right now. And again, these are folks who call Overlake their church home. If you're just checking this whole thing out, this is not for you. You just get to see sort of how it operates here at Overlake. But if, if you're here, Overlake is your church home, but you're currently not giving anything to the mission of God at Overlake, then I'd like to speak to you for a moment. I, I would just encourage you, this would be a great season to jump in. This would be a great season for you to begin to give, to support the, the call that God has on us as a church over these next two years. And I say this for many reasons. Mostly it's for your heart. I believe that God has called us and wired us to be generous and to be good stewards of what God brings. And so if you're currently not giving, if generosity is not a part of your life, then I want to encourage you to give. I would hate for there to be a scenario where you would have to stand before Jesus and explain why five-year-olds committed more to God's kingdom than you did. That would be an uncomfortable conversation. Don't have that one, okay? Uh, the second group of people that I want to talk to is actually a much larger group. The first group's not a large group. The second group's a much larger group. And it's a group of folks that give um, periodically to the cause of Christ at Overlake. You, you, give, um, you, you give sort of, but not um, regularly. That's a bad word. I don't want anyone to be regular. That's just not exciting at church. But... The idea is you give um, sort of as, as you feel like you have extra in your account at the end of the month or something, and so you give. You're not opposed to giving. You want generosity to be a part of your life, but you're just, you're, you're just not consistent in it. Well, I would encourage you to, this is a great season, to just say, you know what, I'm going to be consistent. And as you fill out the envelope, you, you make sure that you're, you know, every two weeks or every month or something, you're saying, I'm going to land on the consistent side because I believe God is in this. And then the third group of people, and actually it's the largest group here, it's the group that my wife Jody and I are a part of, and it's the group that you already give regularly. You're a consistent giver, and you're a good financial steward of the resources that God's given you. Uh, the encouragement that I have for you is that you would seek God, that you'd literally pray about it and ask God, how do you want us to participate in this? My prayer is that all of us would pray, um, what's a gift that I could give at the start of this thing? And then how could I regularly increase my giving so that I can be a part of this thing over the next two years, okay? And that's the road that Jody and I are taking, and I invite you to walk this road as well. Now, I say all this, I, I want you to understand that you, those of you who know me, those of you who uh, you rub shoulders with me, you've been around Overlake for a while, you know that I actually am, this is the part of being a pastor that is the most uncomfortable for me, just how I'm wired. Um, some of you know that my story that, that I, I crammed two years of seminary into seven and a half years. And 
And while I was at that breakneck speed, I, I never once, there was never once any kind of a class, any kind of an expression that was, how do you lead a church to be good financial stewards, to be significant and sacrificial givers? Like, it just never comes up in seminary. And so this is where I feel the most stretched, the most out of my comfort zone. And just this week, I was talking to another pastor, local guy, Pastor Andre, and he was asking me, hey, you know, what's, what can I pray for you for? What's, what's a burden? You know, what are you carrying these days? And I told him about this campaign. I, t- I told him sort of how I felt that I just, uh, you know, this is where I, I struggle. This is, this is my, I just I get all bunged up about asking you guys to participate financially in something that I really believe is close to God's heart. And Andre, he's just so great. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Mike, we serve a big God. He goes, you tell your people, we serve a big God. He said, you release it to him, he'll handle it. So I I just want to invite you, you walk this road, we serve a big God. So even as we talk about making a commitment, you realize we serve a big God and he will care for you and he will care for us and we will accomplish what he's calling us to accomplish. So why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads and let's pray together. Jesus, we want to start with gratitude. We're very thankful for the way that you've cared for us. We're grateful for the, the blessings that you've poured out in our life. But even more than circumstantial blessings, we want to thank you for relationships. We want to thank you for joy. We want to thank you for provision. We want to thank you mostly for grace, for the fact that you've reached out to us in love. You've called our names. You've invited us into something this is great and as glorious as, as your kingdom. We're so thankful for that. And so, Jesus, because you have loved us and graced us and called us by name, we are taking seriously your call to be salt and light and leaven in our communities, to participate in this Blessing My City campaign in a way that is prayerful and personal and financial. And Jesus, we just ask that you would be a part of every step of this journey. In Jesus' name, amen.